Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 26th, 2015. Most of the news we have dished out here today really show the side effects of something much deeper going on all the time. But to the general public, they see the what seems to be unrelated events and so on, uh, vague things about political signing of agreements and like trade partnerships, things like that. And they're kept in secret too. They won't uh, give them to the public for very good reasons. The good reasons being that you wouldn't be very happy at all if you knew how it's going to affect all of your lives. Uh, therefore, what you're seeing uh, with all the news events and so on, and, and apparently scattered information, uh, is the, the side effects of a great big plan. Big plan. Government is not in the business of simply dealing with things day by day as things pop up. It doesn't happen that way. They, 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 it's like a big business plan. And they have many departments within governments designed to project the future, work towards the future for the existing system at the top, the elite system that is. And long ago, they knew, even before they gave the first uh, free trade agreements out, they knew the effect it would have on the working class back home because they'd be proud of so many jobs because of the mass importations of cheaper goods made abroad and so on. And that idea has been advocated since the 1800s. If you can buy something from abroad at a cheaper cost than it would make it be to manufacture it within your own country, then import it. It goes back to Adam Smith, in fact. He talked about that. So the organizations that became what you think are still your governments radically altered well over 100 years ago. And you'll be living through the changes while they try to keep the sham on that is still your government and they're responsible to you. Nothing is further from the truth. And I've gone through the history of the movements that all came together in the 1800s and were led by those who saw that they could use the other movements together and incorporate them into a big global agenda and incorporated uh, technocracy, I've mentioned many times, not just technocrats. Technocrats are guys who work within technocracy as experts. And many of them behind the scenes in the political arena or working, working with the political arena are appointees. And they can go behind the scenes and get things done without it coming to public light for scrutiny or complaints. And that way the government's off the hook. Uh, the, the, the big foundations that were set up to run all the non-governmental organizations which would protest and demand things be done on behalf of those who owned and set and, and run the foundations, which are the big economic bosses of the day, uh, going way back to the present time as international corporations and top banks that, that uh, set up the foundations. And they all work together in the same, they have a, the same common cause that they have to bring in a completely new system, a structure of society where everyone's life is controlled down below a certain elite level from birth to death. And you're living in it today. And that's why all these little unrelated facts that you're given out in the newspaper or partial truths or vague <laughs> references to things are all happening today because they're, they're finishing everything off in this century. A very old plan all coming together as you live today. And I always say, don't, don't be terrified and hide under the kitchen table because it's always used incrementalism to get to where it wants to go. And it's done by behavior modification. They talked about this back in the 1930s uh, when they, they brought in the, the different organizations that were heading towards it in the same direction. They brought them all into the one big group that was known by different names in the 1800s and right into the 1900s and then 20th century. And then it basically came out openly as, again, a very a vague thing to most people. They're all Institute for International Affairs with all of its branches across the world under different names, Council on Foreign Relations and so on. And every British Commonwealth country had the same group working in governments and in high civil servant positions and 
that the U.S. was just the same one with the CFR. So uh, you find that they've all been working towards this common goal of establishing a federation of nations. That was one term they used a long time ago. Today, it all goes under globalization and free trade with the setting up of big trade zones, uh, conglomerates, if you like, just like taking over businesses, uh, it's the same thing, taking over countries now and amalgamating them into these big trading blocks. Karl Marx talked about it, Lenin talked about it, and the big boys that run all the financial world system talked about it, still do. And they, they set up this private organization that's unelected by anybody, although they have many politicians as members of it, a private club drafted up the EU agenda for, for amalgamating all the countries into and under the EU Parliament. And that's been done and accomplished. America, of course, was through the NAFTA. Before that, it was it was a free trade agreement in NAFTA. And now that's blended into the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which also includes a lot of countries, and most all the countries, actually, in Latin America. So part of the reason of keeping it a secret, in fact, in the US, and, and not publishing the whole agenda openly to the public, uh, is it's always a point in voting too. Your congressman will, will not get you a copy of it. Is that in secret? Well, we, we know that's a farce anyway. The whole external political nonsense. But but anyway, uh, the U.S. thinks it's bad right now with the mass immigration from Mexico, which was always on the cards as a first step in the total amalgamation of the Americas and the borderless continent. Idea same as Europe, and the U.S. is going to end up basically the same as Britain is today. Where if you if you go and visit Britain, uh, and you're born there initially, uh, you won't recognise it at all. You feel like a foreigner, and the U.S. is to become the same. Uh, Jack's tally, United Nations, wrote about that in a couple of his books he's put out. Um, one of them is called Millennium. And he talked about the big agenda for total opening of the borders for the U.S., starting with Mexico, and then other ones will follow suit. And eventually, um, Spanish would be the main language used in most of, of the U.S. It's all in the cards. It was, it was planned that way. It's still planned that way. The plan never changes, by the way. And it's going full steam ahead. I've mentioned so many times, and I'm sure I'm sick of it and you're sick of it, the Professor Carl Quigley uh, was the personal historian for their own archives of their history of this group, the CFR, Royal Chief for International Affairs. And they have their own archives of history and with the reasons behind why all things happen and all the big players within their organization who made it happen. And he wrote uh, a couple of books about it, in fact, and various papers about it. And he was very proud of the organization. He didn't see anything wrong with it. He was an elitist himself. And he also believed that the intelligent um, academic type class and scientific class should run the world. And that's, that's all sciences should run our lives, and including all the behavioral sciences and psychology, neuroscience, all that, which is underway right now, of course. And we're all prone to being indoctrinated by it, uh, even from the media, but definitely through the schooling system. Nothing is hidden, and even H.G. Wells, a member of the Fabian Society, another branch of the same group, because this one group controls all sides of everything. One group. And that's the beauty of it, because they know that the public, if they're kept joining what they think is sides, they'll protest and can be led along by a leader to protest and demand the very things the big organization wants them to, to push for. And the government's only too willing to say, oh, well, we're waiting for you coming along. Yeah, we'll, we'll put a law in there and then get these laws passed, which are to the detriment of everybody else. Eventually, that's what you find out. So NGOs are massive armies of rather silly followers, but led by very intelligent, well-educated and trained uh, people or agents, if you like, for the big foundations, the philanthropies as they call them, and they're well paid at the top, well paid indeed, these NGO leaders, with uh, salaries, according to CEOs, some of them in fact, of big corporations.
supposedly under charitable status. So uh, the whole idea was to keep a sham going so the last folk who'd ever imagine that the whole system wasn't theirs anymore. The last people who would know it were the people themselves. They're just still encouraged, in fact, to think they still have the same system as they had a hundred years ago, which is absolutely ridiculous. Now you can imagine what kind of tasks this big organization has to perform. And remember, they're done through big foundations. A foundation, one of the definitions of a foundation, put out by some of the foundation leaders themselves, in fact, is that a foundation is something uh, set up, an organization is set up, uh, and they can has a, have a mandate, an absolute mandate, if you like, and uh, goals and agenda, not just one goal, but and they have um, so long to fulfill it. It could be a hundred years. But over that hundred years, they, they can bring people into it, take over retirees from retirees, and train them, and they work towards it too. Governments, for instance, in an in old-fashioned sense of the word, it could change, and policies could change, but a foundation could go full blast ahead between generations, taking over from each generation, and implementing the same agenda, achieving their goals piece by piece, until they've had all accomplished, and never changed their policies or those goals. And that's what foundations were set up to do. Uh, with the big, the big on top of the big ones like the Rockefeller Foundation, there's many even the Rothschild have too, and um, and all the other ones, the Ford, uh, Carnegie, etc. Uh, they were to run uh, policies and set policies for all the educational standards to change society. You must always get to the youth to change their opinions and their views and indoctrinate them actually, so they don't know they're indoctrinate. They, they think they arrive at these conclusions by themselves. Especially the young, we're very arrogant when we're young, we think we know it all, but we don't realize, no, you know exactly what you've been trained to believe that you know. And you're given the causes and all the rest of it to push for, never knowing that you're being used as suckers. And that's the beauty of it, is social engineering. That's one of the definitions they have too of one of their big organizations and techniques that are used on the public, the indoctrination process. So... You understand the old system has gone long ago. You're now under scientific management, another name that's used by the system that runs us all, scientific management. Experts run everything, supposedly. Academia is heavily involved in it, and they put in the professors to make sure the right kind of uh, opinions are created in the classroom on different topics and so on so that the next bunch of uh, managerial leaders for the world will uh, have the same agenda and the same beliefs and opinions and so on. It's a new feudal system, as Professor Carl Quigley said. They're bringing in where CEOs, top CEOs of corporations, international corporations, are the new feudal overlords. And there's not a, a thing now on any large scale that government ever does and hasn't been for since even before World War Two, actually, but definitely picking up after World War Two, uh, where where big international corporate leaders are not involved in decision making and policy structures for governments, all governments in the West, for instance. Therefore, you got to get out your head that this old old idea of having the rights and so on, or freedoms you used to have, and all they're long gone, long gone. And you're now under a management system. Everywhere you look, from, from the police, especially in the U.S., has completely changed. The system of policing has changed. They're not there to protect and all the rest of it, or serve. Serve is out the window. Serving you is out the window. And they're just like the movies now, the SWAT gear in the States, and the amount of raids they have, thousands of years across, the, thousands of raids, I should say, across each year, across the U.S. And... Nothing's done about it. Many of them false, of course, for get killed in the process, uh, going to the wrong houses, things like that. And there's no comeback. This is this is no this is no say uh, by the general public or victims or anything else. And remember too, Professor Carl Quigley said that you can push and push through training and indoctrinations and so on, through media and even novels and movies for years. 
it could take 50 years to get a, a big change created by using that technique. Whereas uh, warfare, in warfare, no one questions government. And they can ram things through like crazy fast. All departments of government and all the agents now, they have agencies underneath them. These, these almost semi, they are private agencies uh, working on their behalf. They can ram things through as well and do what they want and create policies as opposed to laws. And that's been in effect for a long time too. So he said you can get more done in five years of war than 50 years of peace. And that's why you have the war on terror. And remember too, I've said so many times, the 21st century, according to these big foundations, was to be the century of change. This is the century where all of their big agenda has to be completed by the end of the century. Now, you might breathe a sigh of relief right now and say, well, that's good, they'll go quite well. No, no, you don't, because look what's happened even since 2000, 2001. Look all the change that have been rammed down your throat, in fact. And look at all what happened before that in the 90s with, again, the same big private organizations that work under the United Nations and all of the financial institutions set up, like the International Monetary Fund, the Bank for International Settlements, and, um, and, and the World Bank, all privately owned and, and founded by the same founders who run the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, to bring in this global agenda. The United Nations itself was set up and run by them, still is. So... You have to radically alter your, your, your views of what kind of system you actually live under. And uh, it's not a pretty picture, naturally. And it's not meant to be, except most folk will never catch on. They listen to the, the, the regular media and, and fall asleep, thinking everything's just fine, okay, and, and are betters. You know, are betters, that's what you used to call them in Britain, those who, who were from a, a more elite class, you know, professional types. Our betters were running things for us, above us, and for us, and doing things. It's all up to them. They're very intelligent people. And you keep out of the action at all. In fact, you're kept in the dark, in fact. It's all a show. And that's how it's done. And that's why you have many, many news articles today. There's nothing but rubbish and trivia. Rubbish and trivia. It's not hard to do the digging and find out what kind of system you're under. When they can come out after World War I, for instance, with the big global agendas and have world meetings about the future where they're taking the whole world and everything in it, including all of you and all of the children that come from you, uh, they, and then they understand that uh, you don't get access to these big global meetings that have been going on every year across the world. And you're excluded from the whole darn thing. I should tell you all you need to know. You're under this new feudal system. It's, it's well underway. It involves eugenics. Uh, they have departments of population control. that They're called departments of population in the United Nations. When it was, when it was the same organization, it was a League of Nations. Uh, they called it the Department of Population Control. It's the same thing still today. Attached to, guess what, the World Health Organization. Now, do you want a, a Department of Population Control managing your health as well? Do you? If you can't get around that one, well, there's no help. There's no hope for you at all, is there? So, we're being run by expert management, supposedly, and they're ramming full steam ahead through the mental health organizations that were set up to, to do the tasks they're doing now, which is monitoring children in some countries from, from birth, and it'll, tra- it'll travel all through your life. It'll carry up right through education, employment, till you die, in fact. And they want, eventually, to have everyone tested annually with annual psychological evaluations for the, again, the mental health sections under world health organizations and so on. And your politicians are only too happy to sign all these agreements because they're told to. You understand, they're put in by private foundations. They all belong to the club at the top. You don't need minor politicians belonging to it. You simply need all the leaders 
and the top advisors, they're all in on the act. And they have been for a hundred years. Therefore, it's not hard to understand why things are happening. Now, after World War I, they talked about the future, and they talked about uh, sustainability back then, by the way. And the 1930-odd came along, and they came out again with the, the system which helped to control all of us, a more comprehensive, detailed system, more precise system, to control all of us again from birth to death, all the facets of life, society, economics, and everything else. And uh, they, they incorporated into it ecology, the environment, and so on, and the effects that humans have on the environment in the 1930s, by the way. And uh, the climate as well, uh, everything else. All human activity and what it did to the environment, that's all part of it too. So don't think for a moment that this, this is a new phenomenon by the left wing, because they gave that job to the left wing to push all these things through. And it's very, very old. And the guys who run the economic systems and run the, run the whole system put it out for you to follow. So the whole left wing agenda, which often is incomprehensible to people who join, try to join left wing organizations, if you're half normal, that is. And you don't have to just take things which are obviously wrong in the world to agree with. They're giving you all these other things that seem to be unrelated to it. And you've got to swallow it all with a party line, hook, line, and sinker, and repeat it like a parrot. It's exactly the same technique they use with Marxists. When they joined the Marxist Party, and the Communist Party, and so on, they gave them this string of long stuff that seemed to have nothing to do with it. And folk never ask the questions, because in those organizations, it's verboten to ask the questions. You simply agree and nod your head if you want to get up the ladder, you see. That's how it's done. Now, the right wing is exactly the same. And those who work their way up, they all know in politics what this uh, Council on Foreign Relations happens to be. Or let's say the Canadian Council on Foreign Relations or Canadian uh, Department of Rawlings of International Affairs. Uh, Australian, Australian too, and New Zealand, etc. They all have one. Uh, then they know not to ask questions when they're given an order by a superior, just like Freemasonry, same thing. You never ask why. You know when to keep your mouth shut. And you prove over the years you're trustworthy by not asking the questions, you see. You're simply carrying out what you're told to do. And any policy you're given, you simply carry it out. I can remember Brian Mulroney when he was made Prime Minister of Canada, and he ran the ticket that he would pull us out on after. I think Cretin did it eventually too, same thing for the opposition party. They all run on, on lies, they the like the public to get in. And that's acceptable too, under democracy, you see. And Mulroney uh, pushed, he became the champion of free trade, where two weeks prior to that he completely, supposedly opposed it. And they posted because he'd lose jobs and everything else. Once he was in, oh, he changed his mind overnight. He had a, an epiphany. And he became the champion and went off to sign free trade deals and so on. And every prime minister has since did the same darn thing. The reason being, you see, they're all members of this private organization that belongs ultimately to the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council of Foreign Relations. Same thing, same organization. So... He rammed all that stuff through, and he says, oh, it's the greatest thing for Canada. And it was years later, when he was out of politics, he was given an interview on CBC, and he was asked, you really promoted free trade and so on, and said it'd be great for Canada. He says, he says could you tell us why it's, it's so good for He says, well, to be honest with you, he replied, he says, he says, I don't know. I really honestly don't know if it'd be good for Canada or not. Well, how come he was so absolutely positive? Because he, he was told to what his role was going to be when they made him prime minister. And every prime minister is the same. Same with the presidents in the U.S. Forget all this party nonsense. That's, that's to keep you thinking you're still in the old system. And, and you're not supposed to catch on how the system really works and what's all behind it. And you're definitely not supposed to know that you have no say in anything, actually. And because then 
that's when anger would happen and folk would form other organizations perhaps to do something about it. They don't want that at all. They can't have that. So the facade is kept, kept going. And they give you silly stories like, uh, you know, uh, girls in Nigeria forced into prostitution and are sold as slaves. What's that got to do with your national uh, well-being inside your own country? Nothing. And you don't even know if, if these stories are true. Lots of stories are put out there to, to be utter, they're just ridiculous stories. Distractions, like, like bubblegum for the brain. That's all. Because you're not supposed to concentrate and ask the right questions and go seeking the, the answers for them. Disbelieve in the system as it is. It's meant to appear all confusing because you've got a little brain and the special folk who came out of special rooms who run your countries and all that and economics. Um, uh, you know, they, 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 they got it all under control. Leave them to it. Don't ask questions. It's above your abilities to comprehend, they'll tell you. And go back to sleep and watch television. And movies. If you look at some of the early members' writings, and they wrote more openly back then, back when they, they came out uh, with the arrogance that they had up, up until World War I and then just after World War I. H.G. Wells was a member of this organization. He was also one of the founders of the Fabian Society, too, for, to, to push the left wing social agenda. And he was quite blatant about what the social agenda was because eugenics and Darwinism were all combined together at progress, evolution, and human evolution and evolution of societies and control of societies and science was all wrapped together in his day. And he was a true believer, again, that the elite should run the lives of everyone else beneath them. Completely, that is. And he wrote a the Open Conspiracy, that was the name of it, The Open Conspiracy, a non-fiction work, one of his many non-fiction works, where he outlined how it was going to be and why it must be so. And uh, they were very blatant about it, and, and they really believed in what became... You understand, the left wing, everything is pushed by the left wing today, which always pushes total control, control, control over everything. Ultimately, not freedom at all, but more and more control over everyone. It was actually a right-wing conservative idea back in the early 1900s. All the economic leaders of the day, all the top academia and, and a wealthy class, all believed in total control of the masses. How do you achieve your objectives? And then they set up their big think tanks, etc., etc., to study us all minutely. And they bring everyone into historians and anthropologists, you name it, all brought in, and philosophers, to, to, to the one big organization at the top that make it all happen and manage the world today. And your minds are all managed for you. Your lives are managed for you. You think you've got choices, but you don't really got limited choices. You can have... It's like an examination, modern examinations. Pick A, B, C, or D and tick, tick it off. That's your choice. And you're picked, well, employment, I can be that, 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 or that. They claim at the top. You know, the, the experts tell you, I can be that, that, or that, or that. Maybe you don't want to be that, 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 or that. <laughs> Maybe you want to do something else. But school to work was all part of the Soviet idea, too, because the big boy set up the Soviet Union, financed it, and, and really intensely studied it. Because then they could find out any mistakes along the way, how folk would react to this totalitarian type system. And remember, this totalitarian type system was promoted even amongst the followers from the get-go as an idealistic utopia, you see, which of course never materialized for the followers, but for the elite it certainly did, they lived like kings during that whole era. And it was a reign of horror and fear. So they could learn uh, how to use the fear. Remember, too, the reign of terror. Think about the reign of terror that Lenin introduced with the Bolsheviks right away, picking up people who were better known than little communities and stringing them up in public. They'd cut their stomachs, by the way. 
they tie their intestines, the long intestine, to to a pole and force them at being at point to walk around that and, and literally <laughs> disembowel themselves, you might say. And that was to terrify, to terrify everybody to obey. And that's the extreme of what you call the war on terror is a war of terror, you see. Lenin and his boys talked about the, the counter-revolutionaries. Today it's called terrorists. And just like in Russia, that all the fake bogus terrorists or counter-revolutionaries, now you have so much the same thing happening in the Western world to get the same agenda through. Because a good sprinkling of fear amongst the populace makes them obey and keep their heads down and not ask questions. You see. We're incredibly well studied. We always have been. But then going back again to the World War I, H.G. Wells and so on talked about they didn't want mobility for the general population. Maybe a, he modified his views eventually because he knew they'd have to build up economies and so on. And transportation is vital for transportation of goods and so on, and imports and exports and all of that. But many of the elite were not happy with the sudden mobilization of the public, even by using the railroads, by the way, for the lower classes. Because they couldn't keep tabs on everybody back then so so easily. Uh, as they moved, uh, and even workforces moved from this place to that place for work. And so they came up with the, the social insurance number to track them. That was part of it. So you couldn't get a job without a social insurance number. And that trick's been used in every country since. And they did not want, uh, in Britain, people traveling all over the place with a private car, for instance. And it wasn't until about the late 60s, early 70s, actually during the 70s, that the occasional person amongst all the working class here had a, had a car, an old, generally an old vehicle they'd bought. And they made it purposely expensive for the MOT, Ministry of Transportation, test for the vehicle, uh, which is done every year after it's three years old. And your license plates were expensive, your insurance was awfully expensive, and the taxation to license the vehicle, in fact, depends on how many cylinders even it, it has, or, or cubic centimeters, they tax it by that as well. So that's another way of dissuading most folk from trying to own one, is the cost of the upkeep and getting it on the road. Uh, therefore, they wanted only a, a, a more of a middle-class folk to travel essential vehicles only. When you look at what, where they're going with the, oh, the energy crisis nonsense and um, global warming that's turned into utter freeze. I had snow again the other day. And, and below freezing every night, by the way, here. Still in Canada. We're almost in May. But it doesn't matter. Because now with climate change, they can, they can blame everything on us, you see. And even though they're spraying the skies and causing the weather, and it's routine today, it's, it's just uh, routine operations of controlling the weather. That's old stuff. But the fact is, they didn't want people travelling on the roads uh, forever and ever. And so, once again, by the power of the purse, they can tax you off the road, be get too expensive, uh, and things like that. They can. There's so many th- ways they can get you off the road under Agenda 21, Agenda for the 21st Century. This is the century of change. Remember, all their agendas to be fulfilled. It actually have it stated in there that in these new uh, community living areas you'll be given, there's been no private ownership of vehicles at all. Only essential vehicles allowed. That's your police, fire, ambulance, and probably bureaucrats and government, and so on like that. And certain big corporations, uh, top employees will have them as well. Now, you find in the Western countries, these big think tanks that work for the big foundations knew that they'd have to create a big, massive tax base. And they knew they could use Britain for a certain amount of time. But the, the debts incurred by uh, wars wars for centuries, actually, and borrowing from the private banks uh, would decimate the country with uh, the money due, with compound interest and so on. In fact, Britain just recently paid off, supposedly they announced, the debt for World War One. So it takes about 100 years to pay off that debt, and they've still got World War Two and Korea and various other actions 
to go on since, including the war on terror. So it's never-ending debt, of course. Therefore, they had to pass on the torch, as Wells called it himself, to their branch in the U.S., to take over the Council on Foreign Relations, to take over running the, the U.S. economy, because it had a mass, massive tax base, much bigger population, and raw resources, materials. So they had to give you a lifestyle for a while that seemed pretty good, keep you happy and, and ignorant, hopefully, and they give you lots of entertainment to keep you ignorant and to program you too, and alter your opinion through, through fiction, actually. It's one of the best means of doing it. And... Uh, eventually they'd take that away from you too once you accomplished the mission of pushing in the global uh, system, the global economy, everything else to do with the IMF and the Bank for International Settlements, the United Nations agendas and so on. Because remember, the world's really owned by private corporations at the top, have been for a long time, and one big combine of them all, and I've mentioned the names before, so... They take away your, your vehicles eventually under different guises. There's many ways to, to, to make you do things, you know, without just saying, uh, here's a gun pointed at you, you do it. There's many ways to do it, and again, that the power of the purse is fantastic. And since the, the big system that runs the world also runs the legal system, and they create the laws, so the, anything that's illegal for themselves to do at the top, uh, they make it legal for themselves to do, including letting themselves off with any any uh, charges at all. Uh, in fact, they're free from all charges when they collapse their own banks and all the rest of it and have us bail them out. But the, the, the cars are easy to get off the road through pollution tests and so on, keeping up and up and up the standards until nothing will pass except something that's about two months old. And things like that, very easy to do. Uh, and this article came out too, I'm sure you've all heard about it, about uh, the big combination of the of the the global. It's a global organisation, a lobbying group for all car companies. It's global, uh, so we're, we're, we've been global for a long time, folks, with these big um, uh, lobbying groups, etc. But it says car companies uh, say home repairs aren't legally are legally problematic, and they've sought for copyright restrictions. Clever way to do it, again, written by lawyers who are fantastic with with obscuring what they're really after with terminologies. But it says, uh, automakers are supporting provisions in copyright law that could prohibit some home mechanics and car enthusiasts from repairing and modifying their own vehicles. It's really to do with repair. They don't want you repairing them, but it sounds bad seeing repairing, so they say modifying, you see. But it's a, remember, too, you see, for total control, you cannot be independent of anything in the system. For food, it's all food zone by outside Monsanto's and the big boys and so on, and big agribusiness companies, international. Uh, water, same thing. And they're still gobbling up your water that really is under your house or whatever, and taking over owner, ownership and saying, we'll, we'll pay, you can actually rent the water now, <laughs> each cup of it. And same with your vehicles too. You can't be independent on anything at all. This is in comments filed with the federal agency that will determine whether tinkering with a car can constitute a copyright violation. OEMs and their main lobbying organizations say cars have become too complex and dangerous for consumers and third parties to handle. Now, believe you me, when they first put these gimmicks in under the guise of anti-pollution and so on, they're, they're nothing but gimmicks. Even the mechanics hate them. Because you open up the hood now and there's hoses going all over the darn place and all these various chips and so-called sensors that are junk, to be honest with you. Uh, but uh, it's all to make it appear to be... Utterly, it's the same engine. It's an internal combustion engine. Uh, gas comes into the thing, a spark is timed uh, on a compression stroke and it fires. It's quite simple. All the rest of it is superfluous nonsense, believe you me. Uh, it's always like, it's, remember, for everything that they put forward, there's always a, a long, long, complex uh, excuse for all, with, with pseudosciences involved in it, you see. Uh, uh, that's the good reason they give you. But then there's a real reason. There's always a real reason which you're never told about. And that was to eventually take all the rights that you have over that vehicle away from you. They've already trained you, by the way. We are computers. Everything, every program you get, and every app and all the rest of it, it's not yours. 
Nothing's yours, even if you buy a thing. It's not yours. And they own everything. They've already trained you to accept that silly premise. And you do accept it. So you've been trained already. So here's another one coming down the pipe using the same technique. Well, you see, we've got, it's copyright violation, you know. And, uh, all these little chips in there and that central computer it's got uh, are ours. And you can't tamper with it, you see. So uh, allowing them to continue to fix their cars has become legally problematic, according to a written statement from the Auto Alliance, the main lobbying arm of automakers. It's a lobby group. You see, they have access to governments you don't. That's your democracy. So stop calling this whole system a democracy. It's a farce. Come on. The dispute arises from a section of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Digital Millennium Copyright Act, eh? That no one thought could apply to vehicles. No, you never do. But it apply to anything they want to, you see. They're not stupid at the top. When it was signed into law in 1998, but now in an era where cars are rolling computing platforms, the U.S. Copyright Office is examining whether provisions of the law that protect intellectual property should prohibit people from modifying and tuning their own cars. Every three years, the office holds hearings on whether certain activities should be exempt from the DMCA Section 1201, which governs technological measures that protect copyrighted work. The Electronic Frontier Foundation, a non-profit organization that advocates for individual rights in the digital world, has asked the office to ensure that enthusiasts can continue working on cars by providing exemptions that would give them the right to access necessary car components. This is interested parties have until the end of the month, you wait a long time at the end of the month, right, to file comments on the proposed rulemaking and a final decision expected by mid-year. Don't bother because I'm telling you their decision is already made. It was made before they even started putting these chips in. They always plan way ahead where they'll get, and then, then we'll get this, and then we'll get that, and then we'll push this. That's how things are really done in every area. This is in comments submitted so far. Automakers have expressed concern that allowing outsiders to access electronic control units that run critical vehicle functions like steering, throttle, inputs, and braking leads to an imbalance by which the negative consequences far outweigh any suggested benefits. According to the Alliance of Global Automakers, the Alliance of Global Automakers. In the worst case, and you keep voting for national governments, it's such a joke. The organizations said an exemption for enthusiasts leads to disastrous consequences. Complex software and increased risk, it says. Industry concerns are mounting that modifying these ECUs and their software coding that runs them could lead to vulnerabilities in vehicle safety and cybersecurity. Imagine an amateur makes a coding mistake that causes brakes to fail and a car crash ensues. Furthermore, automakers say these modifications could render cars non-compliant with environmental laws that regulate emissions. You understand, it's already built in them, that the police, if they're given a code, by the way, and you'll see this working eventually, can, can stop all your cars, or individual cars for that matter. Or run them off the road, or maybe over a verge or something, who knows. It says, but exemptions from the DMCAs don't give third parties the right to infringe upon existing copyrights, nor does an exemption mean consumers don't have to abide by other laws and rules that govern vehicles passed by the National Highway Traffic Administration and under the Environmental Protection Agency or U.S. Patent and Trade Office. So it's not a new thing to be able to repair and modify cars, says Kit Walsh, staff attorney with the Electronic Frontier, uh, Frontier Foundation. It's actually a new thing to keep people from doing it. There are these specialized agencies that govern what vehicles can lawfully be used for on the road, and they have not seen fit to stop them from repairing cars. And so that's the the argument you've been given, and so on. And, you know, oh, it could make it unsafe, and blah, 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 blah. It says, aftermarket suppliers and home enthusiasts have been modifying ECUs for years without dire consequences. By tweaking the ECU codes, a process sometimes known as chipping, they boosted horsepower, improved fuel efficiency. Why do you think it, they, they didn't do that by the manufacturers, folks? They don't want fuel efficiency because all same shareholders own the companies as own the oil industry and the gasoline industry. <laughs> and we established performance limits for teen drivers and enhance countless other features. These innovations have contributed to a decades-old tradition of mechanical curiosity and self-reliance. Well, you can't have that. That's forbidden. Self-reliance. These innovations could be curbed precisely at a time that automakers believe personalization of vehicles is emerging as a significant trend. 
Software is allowing for all sorts of technologies such as 4G, LTE, wireless connections, and motorist uses flat software to choose from an increasing array of inf- uh, infotainment options. Well, your, your infotainment will do you in all eventually because you're going to use it all against you. But the car companies, paradoxically, want to be the ones doing the personalizing. And since last September, Ford took steps towards consolidating such control, filing a lawsuit against Autel US Inc., a diagnostic equipment manufacturer based in Huntington, New York. Ford alleges the company unlawfully copied trade secrets and accessed onboard computer systems that relay technical information on diagnostic codes and repair data. The EFF says consumers should have the right to have their cars fixed by independent mechanics. Well, you're darn right. You see, you see how it all works to get. You have to go to the manufacturers, authorized dealers, to get everything repaired with these darn computerized systems, and and they charge you about a hundred times more than anybody else is going to charge you. This is Jennifer Dukarski, an intellectual property and technology attorney from. You understand for everything they do out that the attorneys benefit. There's another level of bureaucrat lawyers. And just living on like a fantastic lifestyle of every, of every screw up that appears to be a screw up that they make, but it's not a screw up at all. That's why the legal industry is totally for this whole global agenda and the whole control systems over all the public's lives. It's all one system. Anyway, she said there's an additional reason, or because they're getting more aggressive in their copyright realm. Court rulings in recent years have eroded their patent protections, so they're searching for alternate ways to protect investments in research and development. Sure, sure they are, yeah. Especially when the governments are always dishing out our tax money to these companies for their research and develop anyway. I mean, we already own the stuff that they develop and research. That's never mentioned. This is with a limited scope of protection. She said they're saying, okay, if I can't protect this via patent, how am I going to lock everything down? What's my next best tool? And I think using copyright law, it's the kind of the only protection outside the idea of trade secrets. The problem is you're in a situation with a host of competing interests, and those are how much freedoms you will let the car owners have. <laughs> and what's the relationship with the information in, in this car you bought? And so on and so on. So anyway, I mean, that's just how they can get you eventually off the road. Because uh, these chips are meant to to malfunction. The ones that close your door to do this and do that and all the rest of it. I'm sure everybody's had headaches with them. And they want you to take them to the dealer. It takes five minutes to put a chip in. It's going to cost you a few hundred dollars, maybe maybe actually more. So... Uh, it's a great profit-making uh, system when these chips blow, even the simple ones for windows, doors, and all the rest of it, too. It's quite amazing, really, isn't it? But uh, what is amazing is, is, is it amazing? We keep forgetting that people are cunning. They're cunning. And there's nobody more cunning, especially the psychopaths at the top, who work for all these big corporations and how to get more and more money squeezed from you and I. It's very simple, isn't it? Very simple. But yeah, if they can tweak uh, the systems in the car to get better mileage and all the rest of it for the fuel, you got to ask yourself, how come the manufacturers didn't do that? It's because they don't want you using less fuel. They want you using the gas and oil and the rest of it because they own shares in that too, folks. It's one big system. Quite simple. Quite simple. Everything generally is, you know. Now, what's the other big stick they often use to get you to comply? Money. Money, very simple. It's money. Money itself, you see. Because it's so vague to most folk, they think it just kind of passes around and comes out of, I don't know, the Wizard of Oz, which is not far from the truth, actually. But anyway, money's the key, too. And to get big changes in the world through, under their very old scheme, to have us all eventually getting credits... From the government, credits, which you can't save up, by the way, instead of paychecks, uh, because they'll be in your bank every week or every month, and electronic, of course, and come the end of the month, we're saying for renewing your, your, your pay, if you want to call it pay, uh, simply the, all the stuff you've saved up just disappears, and you start from scratch again with a new lot. You see, that was discussed under their technocracy uh, plan in the 1930s. But anyway, it says, um, 
Sorry, I'm going to read now. Ties in with it's the same scam as the collapse of the banks already. Remember, the banks didn't didn't simply disappear. We bailed them out after the last scam they pulled off by selling worthless mortgage bonds across the, the country and all the rest of it, and derivatives that were vastly overpriced and all the rest of it. Uh, and they, they all, oh, they're raked in money like you wouldn't believe. And it all disappeared, supposedly, money in heaven. And if you believe that, well, you're certainly not an atheist. And the thing is, they never went to prison for it, you see, because it was meant to happen. They knew it was going to happen. To change the system now, you need bank crashes, or what appears to be crashes, to where the public suffer. But the banks won't. Remember, in January, too, every country under the Bank of International Settlements and IMF uh, the U.S., Canada, all the countries signed into law that, that um, they'll do these bail-ins, not bail-outs, where they'll grab your savings, you see. And that has to happen to get the agenda through, to bring in the new system, you see, of credits and all the rest of it that, that they've already had planned for an awful long time. And I'm sure every problem with it has been worked out before they introduce it, and all the reactions to it as well, everything has worked out years ahead, like a war plan, you see. And the banks with themselves will lose nothing because the top CEOs are all that matter. Their, their income and lifestyle will stay the same and increase, actually, whereas ours will plummet under this controlled society. But the last time, as I say, the banks in 2008 were, were, have been or just buying and selling, buying and selling, jacking up the prices of worthless mortgages and selling again. And they're all in the act. All the banks were doing this uh, out of utter greed and so on. Public understand the greed, but they don't understand any other motive. They can't understand any other motive because greed's easy to understand. But it's more than that. It's to get changes through global changes. Anyway, it says here, Canadian banks are now on the hook for hundreds of millions to companies caught in oil carnage. Canada's awfully good. The British Commonwealth countries are awfully good at, at keeping things from the public. They give them silly little stuff on the news and stuff. It's almost rural stuff and, and like old tales of rural Canada out of Anna Green Gables as opposed to any truth. And it's good enough for most of the folk that have been trained since birth to accept that stuff as news. But it took about two years or three years after lots of denials uh, that Canada had bailed out uh, the top banks in Canada at the same time as the U.S. were bailing out theirs. So it says here, because they're all interlinked today, they're all interlinked, all of them. And your, your so-called national banks, or what you think are national banks, are all heavily invested abroad. Everything's global. And it says Canadian banks on the hook now for hundreds of millions dollars to companies caught in the oil carnage. So just like the worthless um, mortgages and so on, now it's all uh, oh, the big boom they're going to have and fracking and the oil is just going to go through the roof too and so on. This is Bank of Montreal, Canadian, Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and Bank of Nova Scotia are among, they're not the only ones, but are among lenders that provided price protection for U.S. shale drillers that bought insurance against declines in energy prices when North American crude oil was above $90 U.S. a barrel. And Canada's biggest banks are on the hook for the, the, the money. Uh, it says they're on the hook for at least $478 million of the U.S. $26 billion owed to U.S. oil and gas firms that bought protection against plunging crude prices. This is while the new Saudi stance has been trumpeted as a war on U.S. shale, the puppet master of global oil, Ali Al-Nami, uh, was pushing prices lower because of a much deeper fear. This is Bank of Montreal, Canadian Bureau Bank and Commerce and so on, Nova Scotia. Uh, again, they repeat um, what they owe uh, and, and what they are insuring against, basically. And it's all fallen through when the price of the barrel went down, rather than go up, and didn't stay static. You think they didn't see all that coming? Of course they did. They must get changes made, legal changes made for the system. It's all necessary to, to, to change the whole system again, you see. So it says, now the, they've hedged their risk with offset trades. They must make good on the protection sold to welds, uh, catters. Now the oil is trading around $56 a barrel. 
it says the lenders, along with Royal Bank Canada, Toronto Dominion Bank, had uh, derivatives liabilities to U.S. energy companies, including Energen Core and Pioneer Natural Resources Company, at the end of 2014, with energy company records showing, showing it. The amount owed is probably much higher than the 478 uh, million U.S. reported in the filing, as not all energy companies, including Canadian firms, disclose their hedging co- uh, counterparties. If the banks haven't hedged right, then they're sitting on a pretty sizable liability, said Peter Rutledge, National Bank financial analyst, said in April 16th phone interview. But because they're so heavily regulated, the probability of that being the case is low. Korean banks, the largest lender in Alberta's oil industry, aren't alone in being on the wrong side of energy hedges. Insurance in the form of derivatives contracts was also sold by Wall Street banks that financed the biggest energy boom in U.S. history. And um, it says the U.S. banks, just their Bay Street counterparts, passed on the risk to hedge funds, airlines, oil refineries, and utilities. The fair value of hedges uh, held by 57 U.S. companies in the Bloomberg Intelligence North American Explorers and Producers Index rose to $26 billion U.S. dollars as of December 31st, fivefold increase from the end of September, according to data compiled by Bloomberg. Financial institutions act as a go-between, selling all derivatives to one company and buying from another while pocketing fees and profiting on the spread, according to Charles Peabody, an analyst at Portales Partners in New York. The question is whether the banks were able to adequately offset the risk when the market took a nosedive, he said. So therefore, all of this, this crisis creation, remember to get laws passed, massive laws that affect everyone's lives, you must get crisis created. You must get it created, you see. And that they're building up to starting to use the bail-ins, you see, where they grab your savings. Cause tremendous chaos within the country amongst the people who lose their money. And say, well, it's terrible what's happened, we've got to change all the laws and the way we live and everything else. And yada, yada, yada to bring in the controlled society, where, as I say, eventually, just like the Soviet system, the government is your boss, and the government pays the wage, etc., etc., and you get credits issued. The only difference is you can't save them up. You won't have enough to save up anyway for most of you, but you won't, you won't be able to save them up. Even if you try, come the next month, the new amount comes in, and the old stuff gets deleted. And you can read back to Bertrand Russell's writings in the 1940s because he was part of the system that helped create the, the, the whole idea, the big agenda for, the, for the, whole, the rest of the 20th century and the 21st century at all the global meetings. So nothing happens by itself as a singular event on a scale like this. It doesn't happen, folks. It's done for a much, much bigger purpose to ram things through. It's obvious, isn't it? Now, part of the big old plan of the Royal Institute for International Affairs was the mandating of central banks for every nation, and then the amalgamation of the nations into blocks, trading blocks, and then the giving up of sovereignty as you go under a main parliamentary system for the whole block under a massive centralised private bank, you see. And that's pretty well been done for Europe, and look at the mess they're in. And believe you me, if you're on the short end of the stick, uh, you get absolutely hammered you, you, you into utter poverty, as we've seen in Greece, for instance. And here's how they, they treat you when you give so much power. When a nation gives its power, its national power away completely. Under the guise of, it would be great to join this European market, this, this economic union, and all the cons that were pushed out there. It says, in what seems like a coincidental retaliation for Greece's pivot to Russia, because actually Greece is now looking to Russia for help. I mean, it's no point going to the same European Central Bank as they screw you and screw you and screw you. you know? It says, in following Greece's uh, initiation of capital controls, they don't want that, you see. They want the, 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 the big central bank for Europe wants to, to have to, total capital control. The supposedly independent European Central Bank has decided suddenly that after dishing out 74 billion euros of emergency money liquidated to to the Greek National Bank to fund its banks, as the New York Times reports, 
the value of the collateral that the Greek banks post at their own central bank to secure these loans be reduced by as much as 50%. And the haircut, it's a haircut, and there was a grab in your savings. It could increase if negotiations with Europe remain at an impasse. In other words, it stopped, stopped trying to get in with Russia. As we detailed earlier, this is about as worst-case scenario for Greece as is diplomatically possible currently, and highlights an increasingly hard line by the European Central Bank towards the Greeks as the move will leave banks hard-pressed to survive. You understand, you can't give power in a nation away to anybody else, especially a globalised system run by a private club that started off in London and New York. To run all of your affairs You can't. You cannot start even doing it, folks Forget it And it says, as we later earlier According to Bloomberg, the ECB staff proposal Lays out three options to reduce central bank risk And the scenario is envisaged Returning haircuts, that's grabbing your accounts To the level before late last year When the European Central Bank Eased its collateral requirements for Greece To set them at 75% Or to set them at 90% the latter two options could be applied if Greece is in an orderly default under a formal European Central Bank program or a disorderly default, the CNBC said, without further elaborating on those terms. So, uh, whenever you see, <laughs> it's, 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 it's rather ironical, really, uh, but um, the old expression. It was to warn people when, when Greece would come in, when they were creating their big, ancient Greece was creating a, a big, basically a, a, um, a federation in the ancient world that, that, that became a massive kind of Greece structure uh, with lots and lots and lots of countries all eventually sending grain and foodstuffs and money to the central system that ran. And, and the system was based in Athens at the time. It was, again, a kind of like a British Empire type system or uh, um, a, a global society with, with its trading blocks and all the rest of it. And the, the ancient Greece would come out to, to folk who hadn't joined, little nations that hadn't joined them, uh, and offer them all these goodies, just like they did with Greece, you see. If you just join it, oh, you'd be so wealthy and you have great jobs. And the same rubbish that they're fed to every other country in the world. And and then they did plunder you. They they demand by laws that that you sign more of your your, your produce over to to Greece and, and so on for protection. You see, they would give you protection, keep you all safe. Same old con that's still used today. So that that's, they should say, beware of Greeks bearing gifts. Now Greece itself is getting hammered because they took they took what appeared to be gifts. When they, were, when they went trying to join the, the European uh, system and give all their national power away to it. Uh, and now this big uh, conglomerate system uh, uh, based in Brussels is telling them what to do. Literally, in a sense, telling them what to eat because you have no choices. You have to eat rubbish, garbage, if you can afford even that. It's always the same con, folks. A commonwealth, you know, a commonwealth. Well, they take the, the wealth from the commoners so the elite themselves can live awfully well high in the hog. So, it says, um, any reduction in ELA availability would be devastating to Greece, where depositors continue to pull cash from bank accounts to the tune of several hundred million euro every week. And the central bank seeks to match the outflow with ELA. The Bank of Greece keeps a buffer of around 3 billion euros of ELA allowance in reserve to give it time to react to a possible bank run, it says. Any reduction in this buffer would lead to a self-fulfilling bank run prophecy and accelerate deposit flights to the point where the local banks are forced to halt operations and Greece is forced to replace the soft capital controls already rolled out with hard ones. Iceland was the only country that locked up the bankers and charged them and put them in prison. When they collapsed the system there too No one else did that No one else did that Could have, mind you But no one else did it Because you've been run by a global system Of a private club For actually centuries 
but getting more and more aggressive in the last century and the century today. But they must accomplish their whole mission, remember. A totally controlled, from birth to death, society that, that eventually decides who's born and who will not be born. And you'll only be born if they need you for something and they've gone into the genetic research to see in your family lines if you are just the right person that they can allow to be born. To, to suit them, you see, not for to suit you or any parent or anything else, but to suit them themselves. And they discussed this well over a hundred years ago and published lots of articles and books by members of the club themselves and high workers for the elites back then in those days. And the media today keeps you in the dark. That's their job because the top characters are all members of the same private club. To keep you in the dark, that's the, their intention. And to terrify you as well with stories when it suits them to terrify you. And then they'll point out the solutions to make you make panic decisions. Which they'll say is the correct decision. Give up all your rights, everything you own, and allow professionals to manage our lives. Because obviously, and they'll say, just like they do, do with the global warming nonsense and so on, you're the problem. You caused all this yourselves. So we have to manage you. You're just inadequate as far as making proper decisions. Totally inadequate. Experts must run your whole life for you, or you'll have utter misery. And you know something, unfortunately, it's so sad. Most folk will believe it. They'll believe it. There's a lot of folk, too, who, who, who love the real meaning of socialism. As I said earlier, in the talk, socialism was created by the elite conservative establishment well over a hundred years ago. With eugenics involved, expert management of all the population right down to the individual. And you can't put two and two together. All sides are sides of the same private organization and private plan. All of them have been all along, all along. And when something is so obviously going to destroy your nation through some law or treaty that's been made, and your own so-called leaders will not change it to save you, he's not your leader. He's owned by something above that. That's how it really is, folks. And there's nothing new in that at all. Not at all. From Hamish Masella from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, your God, school with you.